This is Melange à deux, a Vienna podcast. Herzlich willkommen. everybody, this is Frau Batsby with Hair X. Say hello. Hello. <laughs> you don't have to lean in. <laughs> <laughs> But then how would they hear me? Yeah, I think they can hear you. Okay. Uh, so, how are you doing? Fantastic. It's yeah. a nice morning. It was a morning after office party, so... Yeah, it was fun. Yeah. It was civilized. Talked Very. to lovely people. Very. <laughs> Very. <laughs> I'm, I'm older and I have the age of wisdom to to leave a party early. It's very nice. And we had a babysitter, so we had to get back. <laughs> But it was it was a lot of fun. Really yeah. lovely people. Uh, last weekend, we watched White Christmas. For, and that was your first time watching it. Did you enjoy it? I did. It was really nice. I, I think all these like older movies, I'm like, you know what? I'm, I'm becoming that old man. I'll be like, they don't make the movies like they used to. <laughs> Back in the day. Back in the day. Yeah. It was, it was wholesome. It was very wholesome. It yeah. was very nice. I always cry. And then tonight we have Hanukkah, the first night. Yeah. Excited. Very. Yeah. It's going to be, I'm recycling a theme. What's, what's the theme? Hanukkah. <laughs> no. it's gonna spoiler be, alert no it's gonna be a Grand Budapest Hotel oh okay theme. oh that was a great theme it was a great theme so we're going to have um, cheese, Hungarian cheese puffs I don't <laughs> don't look at me like that <laughs> I don't know if they're truly Hungarian it just popped up on Google because I was like Hungarian appetizers so it might be like the fettuccine Alfredo version of Italian food okay. but, but they look delicious We're going to have uh, chicken paprikash. Paprikash. Uh, with spetzel. Mm. And then we're going to have jelly donuts kapfen. Ooh. Yeah. All right. It's going to be it's gonna be good. Oh, and latkes. Dessert? What am I talking about? Latkes. latkes. And you're an applesauce latke guy, not a sour cream latke guy. Yeah, I mean, come on. And then, of course, when in Austria, you got to have that applesauce with the creme. You got to have the horseradish. Yeah, I'm going to add that to the list. I forgot. Yeah. Uh, we also talked about a few days ago about the discovery of penicillin. Yeah. Do you remember our theory? <laughs> no, no. Now remind me. I forgot. <laughs> Because he discovered it by going on vacation. Yeah, for two weeks. For two weeks. And I was like, that's the most husband thing ever, where his wife's like, can you clean up the Petri dishes? And he's like, I'll let them soak. <laughs> <laughs> And he's like, see? See? And there's then he... <laughs> a wisdom behind my laziness. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And then he gets rewarded for it. Yeah. <laughs> crap. Welcome to the man's world. <laughs> I don't make the rules. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to be lazy and discover something incredible. And then I have spite for the rest Story of my life. Story of my life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if I went on holiday. What kind of penicillin would... <laughs> oh, it'd be a lot of, a lot of penicillin. <laughs> oh, well, hi, everybody. Um, today, we are doing part two of CC. That don't impress me much. Yeah. To be fair, she does impress me. It was just, uh, I thought it was a clever title. It's a Shania Twain ripoff. Ripoff. Um, yeah, there's going to be three parts because there's so much. And it took me a while to get started on part two because there was a lot to do. Well, since we had a hiatus and we had to go all Krampus on everybody. Yeah. Do we, where did we leave off? We left off at the honeymoon. Okay. And uh -huh. I will also name some names just so we're 
we remember people, the characters in it. So yes, because I forgot already. I know. <laughs> <laughs> we got Cece. Yes. Married to Franz Josef. Yes. Who's the Emperor of Austria. That I know. The mother of Franz Josef is Sophie. Okay. The mother of Cece is Ludovica. Okay. And Helene was the older sister who was supposed to marry Franz Josef. Oh, poor Helene. She'll be back in the story. Okay. Um... And then there'll be some more names in this one, but I'm going to try to keep it as simple as possible. Okay. Also, we have to remember that Cece is 16 when she gets married. Which was uh, average age, I would say, back then. Yeah, it's still really young. Yeah. I cannot imagine 16-year-old me (laughs) getting married. Um, And her mother-in-law is very overbearing. Remember that. And Cece is kind of a country girl, so she is not up to date with court behavior. So right. it's very... But she had that six-month boot camp. She had that boot camp, but she also hated it. So she's she's not super happy. Also, what we should know about their honeymoon, which was at Luxembourg, is that Franz Josef's mom was there the whole time. And it's like, you couldn't take me to Luxembourg. You had to take me to... <laughs> <laughs> it's like I had a Groupon. Yeah. <laughs> we own this already. <laughs> um, and also, his mother was there for the honeymoon and would dine with them every day. Mm. Super cool. Well... No. (laughs) I mean, it was a big place. Yeah. So we're going to go back. So this is post-honeymoon. And their first trip as an officially married couple was in June. So they got married in April. So June is like their first big trip. They visit Moravia and Bohemia, which sound like made-up names for the... (laughs) Sounds like, you know, when the Avengers cast like some fake... uh... Eastern European place. Yeah, or like the Princess Switch, which I was watching the other day in the kingdom of Belgravia. Belgravia. <laughs> and they all have British accents. It's amazing. <laughs> um, so this trip, Cece did not like at all because the Bohemian nobility, they were quite snobbish and they were very powerful in Vienna as well. And mm-hmm. the upper, like the aristocrats really didn't like Cece. They looked down on her. Also, I think because her mother-in-law absolutely loved Bohemia, it was kind of a it's F you. It's Bohemian. No, it's it was Rhapsody. It was the yeah, <laughs> Galileo. And uh, also, she tried to learn Czech, but it was very difficult for her. And her, I think because her mother in law pushed the importance of Bohemia, Cece, consciously or subconsciously, uh, really did not like the region. Also, at the time the Crimean War was happening, uh, Francis was super distracted, so he didn't have that much time. Well, thank God that's been resolved. I know, right? Never again. Um, so Francesca was very distracted. Also, Austrian troops were getting were gaining ground in Wallachia. Wallachia. I don't know how to pronounce that. And Wallachia. Wallachia. And Russian troops were abandoning territories. The situation grew more critical. Cici, of course, had no idea what was going on uh, at this point. Everything was kind of hidden from her. So her days were still filled with dance lessons, language classes, and the art of conversation. I feel like that's that's kind of what I had to deal with when we first got married. You gave me elocution. <laughs> you zip up the fly. <laughs> you Before. wait. In, 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 I still say online. I go on a line. Yeah, it's your New Yorker. Yeah. Um, in line so, makes more sense. So after all this. Yeah, and she's learning the art of conversation. Mm-hmm. And then a few weeks after the wedding, it's obvious that she's preggers. Mm. Um, Francis Joseph is busy and Cece is under constant surveillance because she's... Preggers for the for, for our audience that doesn't know the lingo, it's pregnant. pregnant. She's with child. <laughs> um, so she's under constant surveillance because she's carrying the future possible heir. Her mother-in-law, Sophie, also demands that she be seen in public a lot. So her bump is 
shown to people. Mm -hmm. It's like a bump watch. Uh, Susie becomes more and more depressed, and of course, she's only 16, so teen mom. Sophie, the mother-in-law, also decides that the baby, when born, will be placed, her, the nursery will be placed beside her rooms, not Cece's rooms. <laughs> the nursery would require Cece to climb several narrow staircases and walk through drafty corridors to get to her baby. <laughs> Troll. Um, she's also not involved in any of these preparations. She's completely ignored um, regarding the birth of her first child. Sounds like me and wedding preparation. <laughs> Just show up. <laughs> hey, you were very involved with the cake. Well, it had wood paneling. <laughs> she gave me a task. <laughs> I gave you a task. Um, and at the time, Franz Josef and the Tsar, who actually had a decent relationship before the Crimean War, are no longer BFFs. Uh, the Austrian Empire is starting to suffer from isolation, and Sophie, the mother-in-law, and Franz Josef daily are discussing political things. And Sophie, who is the, known as the Archduchess, is actually secretly known as the Secret Emperor because she's been guiding Franz Josef since he was very young to be. But he was still at that. What age was he? He was just eighteen or nineteen. When he became, yeah, yeah, Emperor, and at this point he's twenty-two, twenty-three. Right. So she's kind of been the guiding force, and she's an absolutist and a full monarchist. She's you know, very heavy-handed. Uh, Cece spends her time crying <laughs> and composing melancholy verses. At the same time, Franz Josef is quoted as saying, quote, my complete domestic happiness. <laughs> Men. <laughs> so she was melancholy. I could see her being played by Alanis Morissette. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't it ironic? <laughs> Yeah, and he's meanwhile like, this is the best time of my right. life. It's good to be the king. <laughs> yeah. So also, Cece and Franz Josef didn't actually have that much in common. Uh, they both liked the outdoors and horseback riding and hiking. Her favorite play was Midsummer Night's Dream. Mm -hmm. And one night they go to the Burgtheater, Cece and Franz Josef together. And he's quoted as saying, quote, it was quite boring and very stupid. <laughs> They have differing opinions. <laughs> By the way, Midsummer Night's Dream must be a very long compound word in German. It's probably it's Midsummer all... Nacht. Yeah. The oh. dream. It's a, it would be all a... One, one word? Yeah. Yeah, it could it's be. I'm going to have to look that up. Nouns. Um, so then March 5th, 1855, there's the birth of Archduchess Sophie, mm -hmm. who is the same name as the mother-in-law. The mother-in-law and Franz Josef were actually present for the birth, which I found really unusual because it wasn't like the 1950s where they were like, just wait outside all late, you know? <laughs> so he was there as she was giving birth. Mm. And um, I thought that was interesting. Uh, Sophie, the mother-in-law, remarked that Cece dealt with the pain admirably. Of course. Well. And then after about three weeks, Cece, uh, the baby was pretty much taken away from her and she had very little contact with the child. She also did not get to decide on the name Sophie or the fact that the mother-in-law would also be godmother. So she had no say in anything. No. Where the baby is. No. What the baby's name. No. So, yeah. Where yeah. the baby's going to college. Oh, no. <laughs> Faster. Um, so then July 15th, about a year, 1856, a year plus later, there's the birth of their next daughter, Gisela. So she's named after the Bavarian wife of the first Christian king of Hungary, Stephen I. Um, Cece's mom, Ludovica, has made the godmother. And once again, the baby was raised by other people. Again, Cece has absolutely no control over her children. And it's two girls. Now, the population is getting a little weary waiting for a boy. 
because they need an heir. How long has this been? It was probably like just two years. Yeah, but pretty much. Yeah, and they're <laughs> like, oh my god! I can the... see the the protesters outside. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's a lot of pressure. Get on it. <laughs> so the country, the country was struggling financially because of all these wars. Um, but funny enough, that the population actually loved Cece more and more. They seemed to be big fans of her. Uh, the aristocracy did not like her, but the public seemed to really uh, like her. Most likely because there were an easing of restrictions and political prisoners were being released. And it's also believed, but this is not, there's not a lot of fact to back it up, that Sisi helped convince Franz Josef to abolish, quote, running the gauntlet, quote. Hmm. So do you know what running the gauntlet is? Uh, aside from like a Tough Mudder type, uh, you know. Well, actually. <laughs> or the American Ninja Warrior. Well, <laughs> so prisoners, when they were convicted. They get their freedom by running the gauntlet? No, oh. um, but I think on their way back to the prison, there's row, two rows of soldiers who beat them as they walk by. <laughs> so they'd have to go through this line of soldiers who would just hit them as they walk through after they've been found guilty. Oh. It's very, it was very cruel. And actually, I think Austria was one of the last countries to have it in Europe. So this was a common thing? This in was a common places. thing, yeah, yeah. And so Sisi was the one who apparently was horrified by this practice. Yeah. And... Um, I would assume that people kind of really liked her because she was kind of like in every person, like she didn't grow up in royalty, so they kind of identified with her. Yeah, and I think she was just, this to her was so foreign, especially when you grow up in the countryside of Bavaria. Mm -hmm. Uh, She actually was responsible for the abolition of keeping prisoners in chains. Mm. And uh, so it is factually correct that due to being in love, Franz Joseph was less opposed to liberalization. So he mm. kind of was a new man. He was like, eh. <laughs> he was happy. He was... Or he did something and then he's like, okay, fine. I'll take the prisoners off the chains. You happy now? <laughs> yeah. Who were you just citing that letter to? <laughs> I won't forget the anniversary next year. <laughs> yeah. uh, so then in 1856, um, this is the same year after the second child is born, uh, Cece's able to you know, find her voice a little. And she tells Francesca that she wants control over her daughters. Uh, a huge fight happens with Sophie, the mother-in-law. Uh, she threatens to move out of the Hofburg. Uh, <laughs> oh, no! Yes, she's like, no, no, please. Oh, no. Oh, this would be terrible. Bye. <laughs> but finally, um, Sophie relented, and uh, Francesca had to beg her. I mean, it's... <laughs> I feel really bad for Franz Josef in this situation. He's like, uh, just, you know, maybe let her see her children sometimes. <laughs> Rich people, just like us. <laughs> so the next major trip was to northern Italy to rest in Venice, which was still under the Austrian control. Um, Cece begged to bring Sophie, age two, on the trip, much to the dismay of Sophie Sr., in the end, Cece won that and was able to bring her two-year-old. Uh, the Austrians were absolutely hated in Italy, uh, and when they arrived, there was a huge crowd to mm. meet them, not to support the emperor, but because they wanted to see if Cece really was that pretty. Yeah, we got to see. They're so Italian, like, eh, hey, <laughs> the princess. <laughs> also, one night at La Scala, when there was a, you know, we were supposed to go tour that opera, but I got the date wrong. <clears throat> Still mad in Milan. Uh, they show up at the opera and they look to the royal boxes where the aristocracy is supposed to sit. Instead, all the aristocrats gave their tickets to their servants because they did not want to go and support Franz Josef. So it was like all, so it was a huge snub. Um, the next trip was Hungary 
and Cece begged to bring both daughters, even though Sophie, the younger one, had a fever. Sophie Sr. was very upset, um, and Sophie Sr. also hated the Hungarians. A lot of this had to do with the attempted assassination of her son back in 1853. Mm. Quote, in 1853, while walking along the Glacis, a bank in Vienna, the emperor survived an attempted assassination by the Hungarian journeyman tailor Janos uh, Lebeni. The quick actions of imperial adjutant Count Maximilian O'Donnell and a passing citizen, Josef Ettenreich, saved the emperor's life. Mm. The motive for the attack has never been discovered. The Votivkirche, so you know that church mm-hmm. at Schadentor, in Vienna was built as an act of thanksgiving for the emperor's survival. Oh, yeah! wow, I didn't know that. Fun fact. Yeah. Sisi uh, fell in love with Hungary. Quote, in Hungary, she found a welcome res- respite from the constraints, constraints of Austrian court life. It was the first time that Elizabeth had met with men of character in Franz Josef's realm, and she became acquainted with an aristocratic independence that seemed, oh, that's, Sorry, scorned to hide its sentiments behind courtly forms of speech. She felt her innermost soul reach out in sympathy to the proud, steadfast people of the land, end quote. Mm. So she was a big fan. Also, they were big horse people. She loved horseback riding. Unlike Archduchess Sophie, who despised the Hungarians, Elizabeth felt such an affinity for them that she began to learn Hungarian. In turn, the country reciprocated in its adoration of her. Um, so her name Elizabeth in Hungarian is Erzabet. Yeah, yeah, and you uh, see that everywhere. Yeah, and people, and yeah, people, and the imperial tomb, the Kaisergruf that we went to with all mm-hmm. the coffins. People still leave Hungarian flags at her coffin. Hmm. Uh, she was also instrumental in the creation of the Austro-Hungarian Empire in 1867 when she was crowned Empress of Hungary. Uh, so PR-wise, she was great. So on this trip to Hungary, both her of her daughters become very ill. Sophie, the older one, ends up dying. For most likely Typhus, the two-year-old. Mm. Uh, they head back to Vienna with her body. Cece falls into a deep depression. She's barely eating and speaking and ignores her younger daughter. Franz Joseph is absolutely devastated. And Sophie Sr. blames Cece for the death. I was about to say, <laughs> like, you know, if you didn't travel. Oh, <laughs> I'm not saying I was right. but Yeah, so it's devastating. Um, yeah, so and also it happened in Hungary. And yeah. She hated Hungary, so yeah. Cece's depression continues for months. So at this time, Franz Josef's younger bro- brother, Ferdinand, or Max, I have to clarify that, gets married to Charlotte, or Charlotte, daughter of the King of Belgians, yes. Max, uh, Maximilian, the, mm-hmm. the one that uh, went to Mexico. Mm-hmm. Ah. So Charlotte, his new wife, who's the daughter of the King of Belgians, is beautiful and intelligent. So, of course, Sophie Sr. decides to pit the two women against each other. Oh, of course. Classic. Uh, triangulation of a narcissist. Uh, they do not like each other. So Cece and Charlotte really dislike each other. Um, so Franz Joseph and Cece, their marriage actually seems to survive and get stronger even after the loss of their daughter. Uh, so they actually spend more time together. And so that's kind of the silver lining of such a devastating loss. In December 1857, Cece is pregnant again. Also, her sister, Helen, remember the older sister? Mm-hmm. Who's about, I think, 26 at the time, finally has a marriage proposal. Uh-huh. Yeah. It's Prince Max of Turn and Taxis, or Taxis. Um, and the king of Bavaria actually, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm just thinking he's like the prince of taxis. Yeah, he's like, hey. He's I got get, Danny DeVito working yeah, the boats. He's got a whole fleet. Got Christopher Lloyd in the back. <laughs> Where you want to go? Okay, five minutes. We'll be there. I'm the prince of taxis. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so the king of Bavaria actually isn't happy 
about Helen, his niece, I think, uh, or distant niece, uh, marrying a prince because he doesn't think he's as powerful. Mm. Bavaria really wants to have kings. Um, however, Cece actually intervenes on Helen's behalf, mm. probably because of guilt. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so August 21st, 1858, Rudolf is born at Luxembourg. Ah. Yes, finally a boy. So he was named after the first Habsburg from the 1200s. So when there was the first dynasty, the starting of the Habsburgs, it was before it was the Babenbergs and it was the Habsburgs. The idea of naming him Rudolf on Franz Josef's side was kind of reiterating the importance of the history of the Habsburgs, mm-hmm. kind of traditional. And everybody is super, super excited because sure. finally there's a boy. Franz Josef even gives, lays the Order of the Golden Fleece in Rudolf's crib. Oh, wow. That's a big Nepo, deal. baby. Yeah. So, I'm going to tell you a little bit about the Order of the Golden Fleece. So, this is a quote. Wow. Sorry, I almost lost my spot. One second. Oh, this is a touchscreen. So, quote, The Distinguished Order of the Golden Fleece um, is a Catholic order of chivalry founded in Bruges by Philip the Good, Duke of Burgundy, in 1430 to celebrate his marriage to Isabella of Portugal. Today, two branches of the order exist, namely the Spanish and the Austrian fleece. Mm. The current Grand Masters are King Philippe VI of Spain and Karl von Habsburg, Mm. head of the House of Habsburg-Lorraine, respectively. The Grand Chaplain of the Austrian branch is Cardinal Christoph Schönborn, Archbishop of Vienna. The separation of the two existing branches took place as a result of the War of the Spanish Succession. The Grand Master of the order, Charles II of Spain, Habsburg had died childless in 1700, and so the succession to the throne of Spain and the Golden Fleece initiated a global conflict. On one hand, Charles, brother of the Holy Roman Emperor, claimed the crown as an agnatic member of the House of Habsburg, which had held the throne for almost two centuries. However, the late king had named Philip of Bourbon, his sister's grandchild, as his successor in his will. Mm. After the conclusion of the war in 1714, Philip was recognized as king of Spain, but hitherto Spanish Netherlands, the old Burgundian territories fell to the Austrian Habsburgs. Mm -hmm. Thus the two dynasties, namely the Bourbons of Spain and the Habsburgs of Austria, have ever since continued granting the separate versions of the Golden Fleece. The Golden Fleece has been referred to as the most prestigious and historic order of chivalry in the world. De Bourgogne? wrote in 1789 that, quote, the number of knights of the Golden Fleece is very limited in Spain, and this is the order which of, which of all those in Europe has best preserved its ancient splendor. Mm. Each collar is sol- solid gold and is estimated to be worth around 50,000 euros as of 2018. Each collar. <laughs> this is a collar with, like, a lamb on it. Mm. Uh, making it the most expensive chivalrous order. Current knights of the order include Emperor Akihito of Japan, for, former Tsar Simeon of Bulgaria and Queen Beatrix of the Netherlands, among 13 others. Knights of the Austrian branch include 33 noblemen and princes of small territories in Central Europe, most of them of German or Austrian origin. Now, this is a very, very fun fact. Sarkozy mm-hmm. is actually a member of this order. Wow. I know. I had no idea. All I want for Christmas is a gold. <laughs> okay, I'm on it. All right. <laughs> Uh, you can also see it, the, the Golden Fleece, at the Austrian Treasury at the Hofburg. At the, yeah, so we'll have to go there. And Franz Josef used to do that, uh, I think it was New Year's, or there were some things where he would do the, he would actually wear it, uh, wear the Golden Fleece for um, parades or things mm-hmm. like that. It was like one 
I think it was at the end of or the end of ball season or something like that. I have to look that up. Yeah. But yeah, no, so it was a, a huge order. Mm-hmm. So So he lays it in Rudolph's crib. crib. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of pressure early on for Rudolph. Yeah. <laughs> Rudolph's birth also coincided with the modernization of Vienna, the tearing down of the wall around the city and the creation of the Ringstrasse. Mm. Uh, the birth was very, very bad, and CC took months to recover. She was not allowed to breastfeed, which led to issues of milk buildup, because mm-hmm. wet nurses were the norm back then. The doctors couldn't figure out what was wrong with Cece. She only seemed to improve when family members from Bavaria visited. One visit was her sister, Marie, who was 17 and made a stop for two weeks in Vienna before heading to marry the crown prince of Naples, mm. which ended up being a disaster. The prince of Naples... They like pizza. <laughs> the prince of Naples, his father was Ferdinand II, who was known as King Bumba. I'm not sure why. <laughs> uh, he was an absolutist. Uh, the groom was a religious zealot and impotent, mm. who Marie was marrying. The king died quickly thereafter, and Marie, at the age of 17, became a queen, and the whole region was in upheaval. It was a really bad time in Napoli. So Franz Josef heads with his troops to Italy to help fight, and he was very sure that he wanted to be part of the fight, and Cece was a wreck because she's lost her daughter, had a really bad birth, and her husband's leaving. Austria suffers many losses. Austria is defeated in the Battle of Solferino. It's the bloodiest war at that time. This is where Henri Dunant created the Red Cross. Mm. Dunant was a Swiss humanitarian who because won. Of, because of the chaos in that battle, mm-hmm. he's like, we, got, we need an we, international organization. Yeah, we can't, like, which is amazing. Wow. So he was there and he saw like, the, the disaster and was like, no. So he actually won a Nobel Peace Prize in 1901. Mm. Franz Josef is blamed for the loss uh, the losses and people think he is inept and too young to lead the army because he's still in his... Mid well, late mid late twenties. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the wounded are being brought back to Vienna. Cece organizes a hospital at Luxembourg, and for the first time ever, she's confronted with real politics. She's actually seeing what's happening. This is when she starts to educate herself. She tries to get Franz Josef to stop the war, but both his mother and Franz Josef ignore her. It becomes clear that Cece is on the opposite political spectrum from her mother-in-law. Mm-hmm. Um, it is about six years into their marriage, uh, sorry, that the rumors of Franz Josef being unfaithful start. Uh-uh. Mm-hmm. Cece also becomes a bit of a party animal. <laughs> she arranges balls, and they're called orphan balls, meaning the only invites, the only people invited are couples and not their mothers. So back in the day when you had a ball and invited people, you'd invite their mothers too. Of course, people are horrified that the mothers are not being invited, um, it was the first time they didn't have everybody and their mother coming to a party. Uh, ah. Nice. <laughs> also, uh, there is a notation in Sophie Senior's diary that one time CC came back at 6.30 in the morning after a ball. Scandale. Oof. Well, um, good thing there weren't paparazzi back then. Right. They were drawing really quickly. <laughs> She's coming home. Wait, wait, wait. <laughs> <laughs> um, also... High society, the aristocracy start feeling sorry for Franz Josef for having such a terrible wife. And also because it was totally normal at the time for men to have affairs because most of the marriages were politically based. But not this one. Uh, In the spring of 1860, Garibaldi uh, takes over Sicily and Naples is next. Cece's sister, Queen Marie, writes her and begs 
that the emperor helped them out, he decides to not intervene, which makes his marriage with Cece even worse. Mm. Uh, this is when Cece decides to take off to Bavaria with her younger daughter. By October 1860, Cece has a continued bad cough and continues her starvation diets. Her doctor suggests that she spend time in a warmer climate during the winter. Madeira is brought up. Um, now, she was notorious for these starvation diets, right? Like Yes, this was kind of the start of it. I mean, I think it was untreated postpartum depression, a lot of, you know, pressure. Mm-hmm. And um, this is also the start of her running away whenever there's anything bad. Uh, Madeira is a solution for her to go to, and most likely because Francioso's brother had been there and raved about it. The Vienna court is horrified. You gotta go to Madeira. You gotta go to Madeira. The it's air, amazing. It's beautiful. Well, when I was there, I, I learned, yeah, that the air was supposedly magical. And uh, It is you know, magical. I've been there once. I, I love it. Funchal is incredible. Funchal is great. Paradise. Um, direct flights from Vienna for those... Uh, no, I looked that up. No, there's no direct? No. So I was thinking we go to Lisbon, we spend a couple of days there, then we oh. fly to Funchal. Yeah, yeah. All right, we'll talk. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so the Vienna court is horrified that... She, Cece's going to leave for five months, but she's absolutely thrilled. She continues to cough and has anemia, but spends hours exercising, much to the anger of Franz Josef. She also will be leaving behind her kids. Everybody is upset, and this is the first major marital crisis. Um, Franz Josef is morose that she is leaving. The news of her mystery illness makes the rounds uh, globally, and even Queen Victoria is so concerned that she lends her her yacht to go to Funchal, called the Victorian Albert. Nice friends. Yeah. yeah, good friends. <laughs> Can I borrow a yacht? yacht? Sure. You're not feeling well? Just take the yacht. Um, there's also a rumor that still persists to this day, but there's not a lot of information to back this up, that her illness was caused by a venereal disease that Franz Josef may have given her. Mm. But the, not sure if that's true. The aristocracy is actually happy that she's leaving so that he can spend more time with his mother because they really like it when he spends time with his mother. <laughs> Jesus. Um, so she takes the yacht to Madeira and she stays in a seaside villa. Her health immediately improves. <laughs> she has a large entourage and has a Hungarian man teaching her Hungarian. He falls in love with her and people find out and they send him back to Vienna. <laughs> her self-esteem grows and she starts to miss her children and Franz Josef. At this time, her sister Marie, married to the king of two Sicilies, has now escaped uh, with him to Rome. So Cece comes back after six months, and within four days, her cough is back. <laughs> oh, no, i got to go back to Madeira. <laughs> the doctor suggests that she go to Corfu. Oh. She is so ill that the world thinks she might actually die. Wow. So when she's getting on the train to go to Corfu, people were crying, just assuming that she was just going off to die. Mm. Um, but she's back off the sea, and her health improves. <laughs> Franz Josef sends his trusted advisor, Grune, who... She was very close to. He's this advisor that she loved very much. They end up having a huge fight in Corfu, and she, like, their friendship ends. They think that this advisor, Gruna, kind of maybe accused her of having an affair, mm. and she just lost her shit. So but I'm starting to think that maybe Cece just wanted a simple life on the beach. Yeah. Like, she <laughs> likes the water. She's like, why? We're kind of, I mean, I know back then the Austro. Uh, Austrian Empire was, you know, we had Croatia. You could go to the sea, but it was like, oh, we need more sea. Yeah, you know? yeah. She's like, and the Hofburg's drafty and cold. She can't doesn't... you just retire? It's like, no, you can't retire from this uh, position, you know? 
worst life ever. Yeah. Um, so after this fight with this Gruna guy, she falls into another depression. So her sister, Helen, the older sister, comes to visit, and it helps a lot. Uh, Franz Josef visits briefly. Sissy wants to see her children, so they compromise that they can all meet in Venice. Sophie Sr. states that the water in Venice is so bad, so Franz Josef has to ship fresh water from Schönbrunn to Venice daily. Rich people. <laughs> Cece and a couple of her sisters, both married to the Sicilian royalty, so one is Marie, meet up in Bavaria. <clears throat> Turns out Marie, remember she's married to the zealot, impotent mm-hmm. king of Sicily? She's pregnant. Oh. After an affair with a Belgian count. Uh-oh. She gives birth in secret and has to give the child to the count. That was kind of back in the day if you got pregnant as an aristocrat and you was not your partner, you had to give the baby right. to the man. She ends up going back to her husband, who's impotent and miserable. He gets surgery down there, mm-hmm. and their marriage ends up being incredibly happy. <laughs> what did they do? I don't know. But apparently this surgery was like, and then they ended up being happily married, so. (laughs) He discovered Viagra. He's like, we'll keep this a secret. Yeah. (laughs) So in a way, that was kind of a weird roundabout way of them being happy. She has a baby. (laughs) He gets some weird surgery. Hey. Yeah. That's strange. Mm Mm-hmm. So after almost two years off and on of separation from Franciosa, Cece is fully back in Vienna. She's more confident and she avoids her mother-in-law as much as possible. In the fall of 1863, it is decided that Franciosa's brother, Archduke Max, it was Max, yeah, not from then, uh, will take the crown of Mexico with his wife, Charlotte. Oh, yes. Or Carlotta. So this was the princess that Sophie Sr. loved. Right. And pitted against Cece. Right. The funniest part is that Sophie Sr. ends up hating Carlotta because she's too ambitious. Cece also hates Carlotta because of the history. So they kind of bond over the fact that they hate... (laughs) I mean, listen, this is how it works. You get a common enemy. So they, and also because they feel like she really pushed for Mexico, and Sophie is devastated about that. She does not want her son to go to Mexico. Mm. And Cece loves Max as well, and so that's not... Great. So in April 1864, the couple head off to Mexico, and they all have a feeling that this is the last time they're going to see him. Um, oh, this was also a fun fact. Bismarck visited Vienna, and they were at a special event, and Cece hated Bismarck, the German guy. Mm-hmm. She thought he was a misogynist. <laughs> and if you Which think it, for back then? I know. It must have been like, <laughs> women should be murdered. Otto von Bismarck. Otto von Bismarck, yeah. He was considered a misogynist by mm-hmm. Cece. So May 1st, 1865 is the celebration of the opening of the Ringstrasse, seven years after the demolition of the wall. And so, you know, the city is starting to become very interesting. The problem, so the idea of when they broke down the city walls was that there'd be more public housing for people. Mm -hmm. The wealthy bought all the houses around the ring. (laughs) So there was no housing for the underprivileged. So very problematic. Um... So and that's probably when the Gemeindebau started. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, I think of, um, I think in the twenties. Mm-hmm. So the daughter Gazella is growing very well, and Rudolf is very, very smart. By five years old, he could speak German, Hungarian, Czech, and French. He was precocious and very. <laughs> and then the, the thing is, the difference between Hungarian. I know and, it's not even like. It's like really learning alien languages. Absolutely amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, so he was very precocious and very sensitive, and he was often very ill. 
He needed a lot of love. And Franz Josef was already disappointed in his son. <laughs> he wanted a manly man. He's like, all I ask for you to is be a better goal scorer. Yeah. <laughs> you only speak four languages? Uh-huh. So when Ru- Rudolf turned six, he was separated from his older sister, as was the tradition, and given an all-male household. There were hysterics with the children. They were very close, mm-hmm. and this was just terrible. So his tutor, Gondrakor, pretty much says that Rudolf needs rigorous exercise and military training, and his intelligence has to be dumbed down so he can focus on his physical strength. Stop being a nerd. Rudolph. Yeah, don't be so smart. Uh, Cece is not happy, but she didn't have any like sway to stop this type of tutoring. So he he really is living apart from his family. Yeah, right? yeah. I mean, he's he's I think at the Hofburg, but he has his own quarters, and he's right. like you know, and he's a baby, he's five right. or six. So after a year of this type of tutelage, he's incredibly high strung and ill. So they decide they're going to be even tougher on Rudolph. Oh. <laughs> Parenting is a little different. No, and then plus, if at age five, they're like, you know what? He needs to toughen up. Like, what, what are they doing? Like, <laughs> just dropping him at different heights? Yeah. And like, stop crying. <laughs> stop crying. What's wrong with you? A little Neosporin on it. I hear a Schwarzenegger accent. <laughs> stop whining. <laughs> Come on. Yeah, this poor kid. He was very timid, um, and he couldn't tell anyone like about this horrible tutor. Cece finally has enough, and she begs the emperor to be more lenient. She writes the emperor and says that either this tutor Gondrakor leaves or she does. Ooh. And he's like, oh, okay. So they've been married 11 years by now and she is at the height of her beauty. And she knows that if she threatens to leave again, Franz Joseph will do everything to stop it. And in fact, their marriage seems to be really good again. And blackmail works. So Rudolf ends up getting a new tu- tutor that Cece chooses, Colonel Latour. Rudolf immediately does better. He still suffers from nocturnal anxiety attacks for the rest of his life, but otherwise he's doing a lot better. Uh, Cece gave Latour, the tutor, complete freedom to choose the teachers. All were intellectuals, save from the religion teacher. Uh, So Rudolf ended up becoming a bit of a liberal Mm. and actually a huge supporter of the middle class. And he ended up being in bitter conflict with the court system that his father ran. So, you know, she kind of, she made him, she made him into a liberal I think it's pro- probably part of, you know, the rebellion growing up would be like... Of course, you know, 100%. Yeah. It's like... <laughs> <laughs> um, so when Cece was first uh, an empress, she was considered pretty, but not beautiful. But as time goes, she grows taller because she was still growing when she got married. <laughs> <laughs> She's now five foot seven and actually taller than Franz Josef by a couple of inches. Yeah, people were short back then. People were short. But court painters always changed the amount of height, so he looked taller. She remained 110 pounds throughout her life. She's 5'7", 110 pounds. And her waist measured 19.5 inches. Wow. Yeah. 19, that's, that's abnormally small. Yeah. And so she would really tighten it with a corset, but she was tiny. Do you have the number in centimeters for, for our international audience? Small. <laughs> I, went, small. I, went in, I went inches for you because you're an American. I mean, I, I think you can have a, like a, it wouldn't even be a very large bodybuilder that would have 19 inch biceps. I No, but I would be, mm. but, but you know, uh, yeah, no, 19 inches. I mean, I would say what, 20, yeah, 24 would be considered a small waist. Are you thinking of? <laughs> Sir makes a lot? Yes. <laughs> 36, 24, 36. <laughs> Only she's 5'3". <five>, <laughs> uh, yeah, so Cece would... Yeah, so she was tiny. 
so she also becomes obsessed with other beautiful women. She starts an album of photographs of women around Europe. She asks ambassadors to send pictures of women from high society from their different posts. Constantinople sends pictures, but obviously not of noblewoman, as, as it was not an accepted practice to mm-hmm. take pictures in Constant in, in yeah Constant, Ottoman Empire. Um, France ends up sending pictures of acrobats and sex workers because they did not understand what they were supposed to send. <laughs> Just, <laughs> I, I get the idea they want either acrobats or sex workers. Just send both. Just send both. And also, you know, we consider them beautiful. <laughs> we're French. <laughs> So then she, so Cece attends a wedding in Bavaria and she's wearing the very famous diamond stars in her hair. Like there's a painting of her. Um, Helen is there with her and someone mentions that Helen is the inferior peril version of Cece. <laughs> Leave her alone. <laughs> um, so this is also the time that Franz Winterhalter, who's a painter, paints three of the most famous paintings of Cece. And I'll post those on the Frau Batsby Instagram. American diplomat notes in a letter to his mother that Cece is beautiful and actually very soft-spoken and shy, but lovely. One formal dinner, she accidentally spills her drink on the tablecloth. Franz Joseph sees that and does the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> this is a tradition. Yeah, that's, not, yeah actually, that's nice. I like that. Uh, cheater. Um, so she's also very... It's allegedly. <laughs> allegedly. She's also very self-conscious of her teeth. Remember the parrot? Oh, right, yes. <laughs> So she rarely smiles in public and often mumbles to avoid showing them. So people actually think she might be a little stupid because she doesn't speak clearly, Mm. Um, but she doesn't hide her teeth. She becomes more and more self-conscious as the public notes everything she wears. Um, This also starts to affect her body image. It's like in a celebrity, like Mm. every point and detail of how you look is being judged. Um, She becomes obsessed with her looks for obvious reason, and her hair is her biggest obsession. Every three weeks, she'll spend a she spends a whole day having it treated with egg whites and cognac. What? <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I guess the scientific method was still not really that big. Like, well, like, egg whites know, are good for your hair and beer. Apparently. Yeah, but, but it, I, I just feel like in Europe, there's like alcohol is usually the cure for anything. Yeah. Yeah, just put some <laughs> just, put some schnapps on just that. Just a little schnapps on it. Yeah, I but I guess that was the, the best treatment at the time. Okay. And every day it takes three hours to style her hair. So three hours. Three hours. It reaches down to her ankles. And there were there were there was no social media to keep you busy while they're doing that. Like, well what, she would have like in the mirror? Well later she she has like a Hungarian woman who talks to her. Like she she gossips. Oh, that's true. But you don't need Duolingo when you have an actual like You have people. <laughs> yeah, you have tutors. <laughs> Um, yeah, so it's down to her ankles and everyone in the high society tries to copy her hair, but they're not rich enough to have yeah. <laughs> this type of treatment. Extra three hours just to sit there. So it can't be replicated. So she goes through a lot of hairdressers because she's obsessed about her hair. She finally finds a woman called Fanny Angera, who was a hairstylist at the Burgtheater for like theater. So she's appointed as the royal hairdresser and got a salary equivalent to that of a university professor at the time. Hmm. She also would hide any hair that would come out in the comb using adhesive tape under her apron. That's where she would hide the hair. Hmm. Because Cece was so obsessed about losing any of her hair. So she knew, you know, take care of that. When Fanny wanted to marry a middle-class bank official, Hugo Feifalik, 
she would have had to given up her her position because you couldn't be a married woman and work in the court. Mm. So Cece talked to Franz Josef, an exception was made. And her new husband was given a job at court. In the end, he ended up becoming Cece's travel supervisor. The Fifalux were part of Cece's inner circle for the next 30 years. Oh, wow. And due to Fanny looking a little like her when they were abroad, Cece would use her as a body double so that she could sneak out and sightsee alone. Oh. So people would like think it was Cece, but it was actually <laughs> her hairdresser. So Cece's hair was so heavy that it sometimes would give her headaches, and sometimes during the day she would use ribbons to tie up her hair to like a bar to relieve Gee. the weight. It's crazy. Just get a bob, get, get a mom like. cut. <laughs> <laughs> so she becomes obsessed with her weight and her look. She was often on starvation diaries and would wear veal masks at night. What? <laughs> veal masks? Yeah, she'd take like veal and stick it on her face. I'm thinking Silence of the Lambs. Next year after friends, I was like, hey, honey, oh my God. <laughs> Veal mask. Do you remember when I was wearing a face mask a couple years ago and you're like, I don't need to know how the. Honey, after you're done with that, I I want a schnitzel. Yeah, so gross. (laughs) Yeah, so she'd have veal mask. She would um, bathe in olive oil. One time they accidentally heated the olive oil and she almost got cooked to death. Um, Yeah, and every evening she would drink five to six egg whites with salt. With the cognac. Yeah, I know. <laughs> uh, so it would take her an hour to get into her corset. And then they would sew her into her clothes. Wait, so uh, between the hair and the corset, that's that's for... I mean, you couldn't run a 40-hour week just getting ready. Yeah. That's literally her job is just to look good at this point and go to events. I mean, oh, she's a Kardashian. It's my only job yet. <laughs> I'm not going to spend an hour getting into a corset. Yeah, she was sewn into her clothes, and she also had exercise bars installed into her rooms, which you can see at the CC Museum. Mm-hmm. Uh, she would spend hours a day exercising, which was absolutely unheard of for women back then. Um, there was so much gossip about it, and it made Franz Josef mad uh, that there was gossip about his wife. So we're going to talk about Hungary. So in 1848, there had been a Hungarian revolution. Franz Josef had squashed all of this, and for close to 20 years, Hungary had been under strict control. Hungary had been seen by Austria as a country of revolutionaries and a threat. Sisi had a soft spot for Hungarians, as I mentioned earlier, mm-hmm. and Rudolf, her son's wet nurse, was Hungarian as well. She struggled with other languages, but Hungarian she picked up, mm. which seems funny because it's the hardest language. <laughs> I tell you, I could probably pick up Hungarian faster than German, though. I was in Budapest a few years ago with my friend. In Hungarian, he asked the waiter if there was space to sit outside. The man spoke for a minute, and my friend turned back and went, yes. That is how complicated <laughs> Hungarian is. Well, he probably also talked about, you know, his father's doing well. And... It sound, No, literally it sounded like this guy's mother had passed. They're so, it's such a serious-sounding language. Mm. But, yeah, impossible. Uh, she continued. So this is still before the Austro-Hungarian. Yes. Okay. Yeah, but she so she continued her studies in Hungarian after Corfu. After that guy had to be sent back to Vienna. This is very fascinating. So she somehow found a Hungarian country girl in 1864. Her name was Ida Ferenczi. So for 34 years, she would be Cici's closest confidant. Ida was also quite close with Hungarian liberals and in a way helped sway a more favorable view of Hungary. Mm. So there is an idea that maybe Ida was kind of put in front of Sisi 
by the Hungarians mm. to try to, so it was kind of intrigue. So Franz Josef at the time was looking for a reconciliation between Austria and Hungary, and the idea was for Franz Josef to go to Budapest. In June 1865, Franz Josef and Sisi went and started to make concessions, abolishing uh, military jurisdiction and amnesty for offenses against the laws governing the press. The steps did not satisfy the Hungarians. They wanted a reestablishment of the Hungarian constitution and for the coronation. So Count, this is a hard name, Gyula Andrasi, Mm-hmm. Listen, I listened to the pronunciation like 15 times, was Prime Minister of Hungary from 1867 and 1871 and had been in political exile until 1859. He was not trusted by the Viennese court. He was called the political sensualist. What? <laughs> he was very dashing. Oh, okay. <laughs> and very well connected. So when Sisi and Andrashi meet met in January 1866, she was 28 and he was 42. And they were immediately very close. Mm. Uh, he was also a very dashing figure in his Magyar uniform, and it has leopard skin on it. And when I went to the war museum with my friend, we saw it, and we were like, that is a New Jersey <laughs> military outfit. <laughs> the real housewives. <laughs> That'd be amazing. It's classy. <laughs> it's it's cla- leopard. It's got leopard. Um, and uh, yeah, and that's, we've been to the war museum. Mm-hmm. I cannot pronounce the name of it. Museum. So we're going to end there because I mean, there's so much, but next this is, this is great. This is amazing, right? It's so much stuff. So next week we'll talk about more about Hungary as well as the birth of her next child, a little bit about Mexico and, uh, you know, the tragedy that is awaiting us because there is so much. Um, also, people can find information or pictures on Frau Batsby Instagram. Please follow. Yeah. Um, thank you, everybody, for listening. You got to like and subscribe. Like and subscribe. <laughs> Please rate us highly. Share it with friends. And we love the feedback that we're getting from listeners uh, that we meet. You got such a compliment about your voice from a friend of mine. What? He was like going to ask me who this sensual man was, and then he realized within a minute that you're not available. <laughs> Yeah. No. So, yeah. I'm taken, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not fair. <laughs> um, yeah, again, thanks everybody. We love the positive feedback. And uh, we're going to do one more episode next week, and then we'll take a bit of a Christmas break. And yeah, we're just going to keep going. This yeah. is fun and educational. I mean, two birds with one stone. Exactly. Well, right. thanks everybody. Happy Hanukkah. Talk Bye. to you soon. Bye. Bye.